got done with a series in conjunction with Woodmont talking about opting in. What it looks like, what it might look like for us as a body of, of believers to be intentional in being in service, being intentional about being in the community we're in, being intentional about being where we're supposed to be. And so as we transition from that into a new series called Like Jesus, it's kind of like going from this is what we want to do and this is why we want to do it. And some, that may seem like it's a little backwards, but you know, follow us as we kind of track through this as we talk from the what to the why. Trying to stay on track with Woodmont, sometimes we're going to get a little bit off, and so we're, we're, we're trying to stay in the flow with them as we go through there. And so let's talk about the why. And we're going to talk about the why for a couple of weeks, about three or four weeks. The why of why we should be involved in our communities, the why of why we should be in kind of ingrained in where we are and showing God and living God out. And so, what is the purpose? Why give a why? And it's interesting as we sit back and we look at. Christianity or religion as a, as a history of life, the why of, of, of religion has oftentimes kind of been cloudy. Uh, unfortunately, and I think we all know this, is that oftentimes guilt is used as an operating thing to make people do stuff. Right? Guilt and fear and all those things are things that we struggle with and we deal with. And so what we need is we kind of talk about, okay, let's be... If let's say we want to go to Honduras in next summer. Let's, let's figure out why we want to do that. Not because somebody's standing back saying, hey, you got to go do this. Or, hey, if you don't go do this, God isn't going to be happy. You know, we need to have the right motivation. We need to have the right thing driving us because guilt and intimidation and force are things we don't like. Those are things that don't jive well with us. I don't love it. I don't like being told what to do. I mean, I'm, I'm 47. I like to think I'm an adult, even though I don't act like it all the time. I don't like being told what to do. In the same way, I don't like being made, feel, made to feel bad when I don't do what somebody else tells me that they think I ought to be doing. I sure don't like to be forced, right? <laughs> I don't live at home anymore. You're not my mom and dad. You can't tell me what to do. Don't we love doing that to our kids? Do this or else it's going to be bad for you. Be nicer to your brother. Stop hitting your brother this, stop that, or else. So effective, right? It's so effective when we come to somebody and say, do this or else. I don't know about you, but I, as a parent, the longer I do this, and it's not been very long, we've got an 11- and 8-year-old, the longer I do this, the more I realize, you know, I really would rather they obey me because they love me and respect me. They're scared of me. Because if we live with this dynamic in our house that, that they do it or else, that they do it or I'm going to, to spank them, or they do it or I'm going to take something away, if we live with the dynamic that they are scared of me and I have, have this tyrannical way over them, our relationship is forever going to be fragmented. It will never be a real relationship. It will never be a good relationship because it will always be divided because they're scared of me. And guilt causes resentment. Guilt causes resentment, guilt causes weakness, guilt causes a lot of things to happen in relationships whenever manipulation is used. And that's kind of been an operating thing within religion. But intimidation and fear causes weakness. I'm reading this book right now, and it's not a new book. It's called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It's a good book. It's good for, for personal growth and whatnot. But he talks about there about how we should order our lives and how we should decide how we're going to grow as people and how 
going from the right mindset and growing from the right place is important because it creates change in our lives. But when we are forced to do things, it doesn't promote growth. Instead, it promotes weakness. If somebody tells me I have to do something, I then rely on them to make me do it all the time. If I tell Noah, if you don't clean your room, you're not going to do this. If you don't clean, you're not going to do that. Or if I tell Isaac, if you don't do this or do that, and then they have... The relationship becomes about them relying on me to make them do it, and I don't give them the space to grow personally to desire to do those things. I realize it's going to become a while, and, and they won't get there on their own, but I have to help them there. So it, it makes you rely on others. It also causes weakness because it robs you of the opportunity to grow, become greater people, grow into what God has created you, and it also weakens relationships. So we try and force somebody to do something. We try and manipulate somebody to do something. It weakens that relationship. How people, when people look at church, what is one of the things they, they assume or they say is true of church? What preachers only want what? Maybe we're removed from this. Maybe it's, maybe it's just me, right? Preachers only want money, right? Churches want money. I appreciate it at, at, here at New Garden that we don't talk about money a whole lot. We mentioned it in our welcome. There are opportunities for you to give, but we're not hounding you about that. I've been parts of churches where we had to hound people about that just to survive, right? It became almost like a second course of when we would get up to talk on Sundays. It would be about, hey, we need to meet budget and whatnot. And so the, kind of the place between you and the person making you do something or wanting you to do something becomes fractured because they're always asking you, they're always forcing you, and there's no opportunity for growth within that. There's no opportunity for getting there on your own. So besides the need for proper motivation, sometimes we just need a reminder, our Christian life is an active life. I didn't call you into a walk with him so that you could just kind of sit back and wait for heaven to come one day and be like, hey, I survived, I got there. Sometimes we just need to be taught. Sometimes we forget where we're all at in the journey. Sometimes we just need a refresher on why we ought to be doing things. So we talk about the why. Why opt in? Why try and understand our calling is greater than the circle that we surround ourselves with and those people that we love. Why, why should we endeavor to care about something other than what goes on in our own house? Why should we endeavor to care about something than what goes on inside our own fellowship, our own church, our own group of people? Because in this day and age, one of the things that seems to be a driving force is fear, right? So it's really easy for us to sit back and, and you know, circle the proverbial wagons and say, okay, I'm only going to care about what's inside of this little circle. And I'm not going to care about what's going on out there because I've got enough on my plate to deal with what's just right here. What I can control. So I have to ask myself the question, why should I care? Why should I put myself out there? And you know, that's a pretty thick question. It's a pretty heavy question. If you have school-age kids, you know that standardized testing season is coming soon. And if you haven't experienced that with your kids yet, it's coming. The other morning, Olsa was talking to our two, our two boys before they got there, getting ready to school, and she was trying to impress upon them the need, you know, guys, really be serious about it, take it seriously, you know, do good things, you know, be focused on it, don't take it lightly. And one of them, and I won't tell you which one, one of them declared, you know, I don't care about tests. I don't even care about school. I hate school. And then the other one's like, yeah, I hate school too. Then we had this chorus of, I don't care about school. It's hard for an 8 and 11 year old to understand that there's things that they're doing now that's going to impact them in 5 years, in 10 years, in 20 years. 
The things they're doing now will set them up for whether they are successful in their education and de- educational endeavors in life or whether they're not successful in their life. It's hard for an 8 and 11 year old to see past the end of their nose, right? It's hard for them to understand anything that is greater than that, to grasp future opportunities. Because what they want to do is they want to play the switch, or they want to play on their phone, or they want to play football outside, or they want to go play baseball at the park. There's so many things that they want to do. And you know what school is doing? School's getting in the way of that. I start trying to get them as 8 and 11 year olds to see value for the future is almost impossible. But let's be honest. That's not something that is just for 11 year olds. That's why we oftentimes have to have concrete whys and understand because we want stuff that's going to benefit us. Okay, so if I go to Honduras next week, or next year, next summer, Michael, how does that benefit me? What am I getting at? Because I'm going to have to give up a week of work a vacation to go to Honduras. If I go and help out at a food pantry on a Saturday, I'm going to have to give up a Saturday that I need to be working in the yard. I need to know what the benefit, I need to know what the return on investment is for that, for me to do that. It's not just kids that don't understand what's going on in the future, can't grasp what's going on in the future, what's bigger than them. Because at the end of the day, we have, seems like we have this innate, built-in sense of ourselves and protecting only ourselves. Or doing things that only benefit us directly or our immediate families directly. And part of what we have to start realizing and understanding is that selflessness or giving or being sort of something is bigger than us is a muscle that we have to exercise. It has to be done over and over and over again in order for us to get to where it becomes a natural part of our lives. And so. Don't be dismayed if you sit back and you think and your, line, your mind is running along that track. Well, I don't really have time to give to a week-long trip to Honduras. I don't have time to give to a Saturday that I need to be doing something else. I have enough that I have to come up here on Sunday. That's more than I can give. So if we want to really grasp and get a hold of the why of what we're doing, we kind of have to go back to the garden. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the, all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. So let that sink in for a minute. Let that be a part of your understanding this morning. Is that Even if we know these Scriptures, right? We can quote this without even looking at it. But let that sink in for a minute. That you and I were created in the image of God. We are image bearers of the Almighty. So that means, if you want to take it to the most basic level, that means that the person that you dislike so much, person who cuts you off in traffic, maybe here this morning, on the way here, or when you go to work tomorrow, when you way home, that, co- that co-worker that annoys you so, so bad. That person that you look at in the mirror and that you don't like what you see, all those people, all of us are image bearers of God. So our responses, our interactions, our thoughts, Everything has to be informed by, the why of life has to be informed by the fact that when the foundations of the earth were laid, when God brought order out of chaos, that He decided, you know what, I'm going to create humanity 
in our image. That's a lot to process. That's a tremendous amount to unpack. Because there's times when I look at that, that guy standing in the mirror, and I don't like what I see. Not just physically, but I don't like what the mental part, I don't like the emotional part, I don't like the spiritual part. And, then, and I get frustrated because the struggles that I have that are continually in my life, and it's in those moments when I struggle with myself, and it's in those moments when I struggle with other people, it's in my moments when I struggle with society and life and all those things that I have to remind myself that God created in His image. God, I've heard this before, and I think it's very applicable. God doesn't make junk. But God isn't junk. See, but there's this juxtaposition, though, because being a human doesn't disqualify me from being made in the image of God, but also being human doesn't excuse me or allow me to reject the way of the cross because it's too hard. You see, it's a both and. We're, we're made in the image of God, and we're called to walk that way. We can't decide that we don't want to do it. And decide that it's too hard. You see, there's this, there's this inherent danger in being, there's this inherent danger in forgetting the fact that we are image bearers of God. And you see, the danger is that when we separate ourselves from God within us, when we separate ourselves and we forget that God is, is alive within us. We run, we, we run the risk of taking a lot of burden on ourselves in this life. We run the risk of becoming deist or functional atheist. Now, a deist is somebody who believes there's a God and that created everything, but that he kind of set the world spinning and step, is sitting back in heaven going, I wonder what they're going to do today. Or we run the risk even more so of becoming functional atheist. We state that God is alive and that we believe there's a God, but we really don't think He has any power. If we come in here on Sunday and we sing songs that are, that are strong and are true, and we go out there and live every other day of the week like God doesn't really exist. So when we go out there and we look at life, we're like, oh, I guess I've got to do the hard lifting. And we look at our world and we see the struggle in our world and we think that God just isn't here. Like God all of a sudden is out taking a nap. God's decided that He doesn't want to be active today. So we sit down and think, okay, well, I guess I've got to go do the hard work. Somewhere in the midst of all this, there's a thread of truth to be pulled through. Even though we're image bearers of God, it doesn't mean that one day God's going to flip a switch and all of a sudden we'll be like, hey, now I feel it. Now I get it. And even though we're bearers of God, we have to be active in the process of spiritual transformation. That's the, the key, right? That's the point of all this is spiritual transformation that God did not just create us to be, but God created us to be something else, something more than we could ever imagine. Life with God, our walk with God is not static, is not something we, that we we get baptized, we enjoy it, we, we join our lives with God, we get our ticket punched to heaven, then we sit back and we say, okay, we're just going to wait until God comes back. God has given you and I everything that we need for transformation. 
God has given you and I everything we need to move from where we are in the direction that takes us to from the, okay, I know what I ought to do, to understanding why I know that I need to do those things. He's provided us the proper motivation to get there. Peter in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, it, His divine power has given us everything we need for godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very and great, precious, very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. God's given us everything we need. That's the hard part. God's given it to us. And so it's, a, it's the process of grasping it and understanding it and, and routing it into our lives and making it part of who we, who we are and what we are. The knowledge that, that Peter talks about that God has given us is inherent in us, within us. It's inherent nature within us if we understand that we are made in the image of God. It's within us we understand that His Spirit lives within us. It's within us through His Word that we study. It's within us through Jesus, His Son. Although it may not seem like it every day of the week, or maybe any day of the week, God wants us to be successful. God wants us to be successful. He didn't create life as just some crazy mathematical equation that had to be solved. God created you and created you for a life that is amazing. If we draw near to God, I know this sounds cliche, but if we draw near to God, God draws near to us. And does that mean the road will be easy? Does that mean the road will be clear? No, quite the contrary. Does mean that God is here, that God's out there, that God is everywhere. Let's pause for a minute. Let's pause. Step back and say, okay, we began our discussion this morning talking about opting in and connecting that with living like Jesus. So, what does our discussion this morning have to do with that? We're not yet talking much about Jesus and living like Jesus, right? So if we go back to our script, two scriptures specifically. Next slide, please. Next slide. It's not working. So Genesis 1.26, it says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that. In 2 Peter 1.4, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that. So that what? So that what? So we can, as humanity, be smug and self-satisfied and satisfied and say, I, I am the one, I, I've been creating God's image, I am great. So we can hold power over creation, so we can hold power over everything and have dominion. God has created us like we are so that we can join Him in the work that He is doing in the world. We've been given this gift of, of image, make, image bearers, that we've been made in the image of God so that we can participate with God in the work that He is already doing in the world. See, Jesus is the ultimate expression of that, and we'll talk about that next week as we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. We're going to talk about what Jesus' life meant and what it was designed for. God didn't call us into this great place so that we could have this great power and we could be corrupted with it. God called us into this great place so that we could be servants. That's the hard part, right? God calls us not to be at the front of the table. God calls us God, God calls us to serve at the table. He calls us to power not so that we can be 
this coercive spirit over the world, but so that we can have a power that is informed by and wrapped in service. You see, we're all made in the image of God. It's what we do with that knowledge that dictates the course of our lives. And it can be daunting at times, right? To think that I've been called by God, I've been created by God to participate with Him in this world that I'm not very good at life. I fall, I trip, I mess up. I'm not very good at what I do in this life. But when I sit back and think about it, sometimes I feel really, really, really out of place. Sometimes the why is about understanding that I'm a child of God and that God has created me and that, that I'm in His image. And sometimes it's about getting out of my comfort zone and moving past what I am so that I can participate in what God is already doing. God doesn't need us to defend Him. God doesn't need us to, to fight for Him. God needs us to serve with Him. He's already at work in the world. That's what He's called us to. At times, it's going to feel like we are really, really, really out of place. We're going to feel like we don't belong. The task is too hard. The transformation to the point to where we want to opt in, where we want to be like Christ, will never happen. You see, that mindset is about you and me. That mindset's not about God. But that's a mindset that Satan uses to get us off track and to get us away. He's very good at tricking us into believing that we're not worthy. He would rather that we forget that we are made in the image of God. He would rather that we forget that we have a purpose that's greater and beyond us because if He can get us to focus just on ourselves, if He can get us to focus just on our circle, then He knows that we're not going to be able to impact the world in a great way. That we'll never be truly like Jesus. The task that we have been called to is using the knowledge that He has given us and allowing that to inform our lives in such a way to where we want to serve. So why opt in? Because that's what God created us for. Not because you should feel guilty if you don't. Not because I'm sitting up here and trying to force you to do something you don't want to do. Not because you're, trying, you're being coerced into something. You should want to opt in because that's what you were created for. Because once we start living into what we, create, we were created for, life sounds silly, I know. Life takes a meaning that it didn't have before. Once we start living into what God has created us for, we soon start to understand it's like a light bulb goes off. We're like, oh, this is what I'm here for. For some people, that'll look like going to Honduras once a year and serving in an orphanage. For some people, it's going to mean coming over here on a Saturday and helping out a food pantry. Some people, it's going to be helping your neighbor. It's going to look different for everybody, but the task is opening our eyes and seeing what God is doing and then entering into it. The, the great thing about what Woodmont is doing and their lead in this is that they've given us a whole three or four pages of options that we can opt into. We don't all have to do the same thing. We don't all have to be in the same place because we're not all the same people. But I promise you, if you will live into what God has created for, your life will take a meaning that you never knew before. I think so many, some of us, whew, myself included at times, waste our lives because we don't 
ever allow God to move us into where He created us for. Because we're scared. We're terrified. What if I actually go do that? What if I actually go do? What if I actually go serve? What if I actually talk that? What, whatever it is, we are terrified of what the result might be. Some of us are terrified of what God might ask us to do. <laughs> Before, until 2014, I was a full-time minister. The last three years of that, I was a full-time preaching minister. And every Sunday I got in the pulpit, I never feel more alive than when I'm doing this. And when I left that church, I was angry. I had a bad situation. I had a bad falling out with the church, which I know you're shocked that never happened. I left there angry, and I was angry for a long time. I would preach sporadically at different places. I preached when we were on the hill at Hermes. I preached here sporadically. And I would get angry because... I know it sounds silly. I'm angry because when I do this, I feel the most alive. I feel like this is where God has created me to be. I was angry because, God, why would you create this as something that makes me feel like I am living into what you created me for, and yet you have robbed me of the opportunity? It took a long time for me to come back to where I am today, to where I'm okay with doing this once or twice a month. Because I know it's in those moments that I am able to do what I am called to do. This thing about service, it's not something you have to do. It's not something every day or something every week. Or it's not something, you know, we're not going to Honduras once a month and you've got to figure out how to make that happen. We're not even going every year, you've got to figure out how to make that happen. It's the reality that there are times that God's going to give you opportunities in front of you to step in and say, yeah, let me do this. Let me work with this. Let me be in the midst of this. God is an amazing God. And guess what? He knows more than you know. He knows better than you know. He created great things for your life. He created great things for my life. And He's saying, I created you so that you could participate with me in this world.